Blessings, Divine Nobodies fam. You know, one thing that Jen and I are huge advocates for are developing ways in which we can improve our lives through making spirituality and wellness not just a topic of conversation, but a lifestyle. You know, we live in a very fast-paced, hyper-accelerated world, and so it's important to find healthy ways that we can optimize that life. Let me tell you guys, I discovered this brand, Happy Hippo, a few years ago, and it was during a time where I just couldn't handle the overtly stimulating effects of coffee anymore. I just couldn't do it. But I still wanted a natural way to put a little pep in my step, if you know what I mean. Whether you're someone that needs a lot of energy throughout the day or someone that just likes to relax at home with a nice book, you know, nestled in your hammock, cuddling with your partner, all the things. Happy Hippo has quality herbal products meant to enhance and optimize all areas of the life you currently live. They offer a wide variety of lab-tested, GMP-approved croton powder, capsules, and extracts from around the world. They have products that can promote well-being, inner peace, also products that can complement a productive and busy life. You know, if you're like Gary Vee and you just like to crush it at life, Happy Hippo will get you there, guys. So if you're curious about this magical plant from Southeast Asia, because that's where it comes from, just visit their website at happyhippoherbals.com and search their huge catalog of Katam strains to find one that resonates with you. Trust me, guys, you'll find one if you believe. If you're new to Katam and aren't sure where to start, well, Happy Hippo Herbals does a great job of providing descriptions for each product so you know exactly how it will benefit your life. Go to happyhippoherbals.com and use promo code DivineNobodies at checkout for 15% off your first order. That's promo code DivineNobodies at checkout for 15% off your first order. Trust me, fam, you'll be feeling all kinds of vibes. Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Look, guys, I'm not even going to lie to you. It's been a crazy, crazy, crazy last few weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Vinyl Buddy's podcast. And it's been difficult to move through. It's been difficult to move through. And, you know, there's a time and a place where we can have all the nice and fun times, which, you know, the podcast is always going to be that way. But it's been really, really rough for us. Indeed. Yeah, it's been a rough, rough couple of weeks for sure. Been a rough couple of weeks. I guess we should just start off by, you know, what, pointing our little finger at Mercury in the sky because uh, this all sort of is occurring around the retrograde, which if you guys aren't familiar, <clears throat> at least in January, where it started on January 14th to February 3rd, which is the Mercury, first Mercury retrograde uh, of the year and it happened in Aquarius, which Jen happens to be your birthday month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Jen's in Aquarius and uh, it seemed to have hit her a lot harder than it hit me, though there are also definitely things to note about how it impacted both of us. And we'll get to that in a minute. If you guys aren't familiar with Mercury retrograde, it's a period of time in which, you know, the planet Mercury appears to always have to put in there that it appears to, but doesn't actually move backwards. It's kind of an optical illusion. So all the planets in the solar system move in the, the sort of same direction around the sun, but because Mercury's orbit is shorter than ours, which is um, 88 days versus our 365, it laps the Earth a few times a year. And when it does this, it appears to kind of reverse its course. And uh, we go through this with Venus every now and again. We also have Venus retrogrades, which in- impacts love. But uh, when Mercury goes into rec- retrograde, it can be a disastrous time for a lot of things, including communication and travel. And uh, also things like listening, speaking, learning, reading, et cetera, et cetera. It's the planet of communication. So it doesn't just impact communication, it impacts a lot of things. But it's uh, something that everybody, especially nowadays, knows what it's about. And I uh, wanted to touch base with you, Jen, because the last podcast, I let everybody know that you had caught the Rona. Finally got it. I thought I was immune. Did you really? I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you sent me text messages, oh, COVID ain't going to kick my ass. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was immune. I had just dodged the bullet so many times. I had been around, you know, I, at this point over the last couple of years, at least 50 times I'd come in contact with somebody that, you know, was positive and never got it. And I'm immunosuppressed. So I'm like technically in the high risk category. So I thought that if somebody just looked at me, I was going to get COVID and 
that wasn't the case. So I thought like, oh, it's because I have O negative blood. I have that good alien blood, so I'm not going to get sick. And yeah, that carried me. That carried me for a couple years, but old Omicron. <laughs> I think it, I think it helped <laughs> you out. And that was the conversation that we did have about the, uh, <clears throat> the type of blood type that you have. But I remember you... Um, texting me several times, like Jenna's been in several situations with other people where everybody got COVID except for her. Yeah. Everybody. Multiple right? times. And we yeah. just couldn't like figure it out. More than three times. Mm-hmm. More than three times, right? More than three times where I went, was at a party, like a birthday party, um, a holiday party, um, another like a big gathering. We were um, at a concert and every time, you know, we're in a group of, you know, 10, 10 people or more and everybody gets COVID except me. Except for you. Yeah. Up until now. And I'm not, I'm not especially careful. I mean, I kind of wash my hands and, you know, <laughs> but I'm not one of those people that carries around hand sanitizer all the time. And I'm like, uh, with the hand washing. So Walking on the wild side fun. with that immuno, immunocompromised <laughs> self, Jen. I know. I'm just being honest though. <laughs> I was, I was better in the beginning. I was better a couple of years ago, but now I'm just kind of like, yeah. Maybe as like your belief in reincarnations seems to sort of expand, you're not as worried about death. You're like, ah, it's okay. I'll come back again if I need to. You know, I, yeah, I think that my views on death changing really have changed the way that I live my life. I think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I don't need to wash my hands. I'm going to, I'm going to be reincarnated anyways. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me about this, Jen, because this is a interesting experience. This is, I think, uh, something impacting everybody. You know, we can all kind of relate to this, but I think a lot of people are curious how it affects every person that gets it. They all, they're all, everybody says the same thing. Oh, it's just a matter of time until until you get to experience it. But we're not entirely sure how it's going to impact us, especially me and you. You know, we never think it's going to happen to us, but you know, it happened to you. So, what was that like? It did. Um, I got to be honest, it really wasn't that bad. I actually ended up getting strep Rona. So I got strep throat and the Rona at the same time. Oh yeah. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. So I actually think the strep throat was the worst part of the whole experience. To back up, rewind a little bit. I was at my company holiday party and everybody at the holiday party got, got Rona except me. And, um, so once again, I'm thinking I'm invincible, right? I'm like, oh, well, oh, negative blood, alien blood made it by again. (laughs) And then, uh, my husband ended up getting Omicron. From the Raiders game, so I know at a Raiders game at a Raiders game, yeah, you know, every nobody's wearing a mask, everybody's there, you know, screaming and yelling, droplets flying all over the place, and um, both him and his friend John that was at the game with him, uh, they both got got Corona and strep, so you know they <laughs> got both, and so that's how I knew where it came from. God, did the Raiders win at least? They did win. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know and anything both- about sports, but I figure you know at least if they win, that kind of. Kind of cut the blow a little bit, but not really. Not for me. I hate sports. <laughs> it just made me hate the Raiders even more. <laughs> oh man! So, so, so yeah. what did you do? When, when when did you start feeling the symptoms? Did you take a test? How did you figure um, it out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had it. I mean, Jeremy was home and had it for a week. I mean, a full like seven days, and I was still fine. And when he had Delta, whenever that was floating around. Um, he was at home then too. I didn't get Delta. So I was like, well, if I didn't get Delta, I'm not going to get this. So and, he got Delta um, too. Mm-hmm, yeah. So he got COVID twice. He got COVID twice. Yeah. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so this time around he was feeling better back to normal and I'm like, okay, well I escaped it again. And, uh, and then it was like overnight, I just woke up and my throat was hurting and I was like, oh man, he got me. So, and then I went straight downhill. So it was, I went from being fine in the morning to feeling terrible at night. And, um, it was really kind of weird. The mornings were not as bad as nighttime. I don't know why. I don't know what that's about, but I had no respiratory symptoms. I didn't really have a cough, nothing like that. Nothing upper respiratory. It was all like just my throat was on fire and, um, I had a fever and lots of sweating, like sweating chills, just constantly being freezing cold and sweating. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty much my experience. So it lasted uh, maybe like three days. And then after that, it was just, my throat was still hurting and I didn't really have much of a voice. I was really hoarse and um, took 10 days of antibiotics and wham, bam, here I am. Well, that's good for you, Jen. You're definitely a healthy person. And yeah. uh, it's, it's yeah, interesting. I should, preface that. I should preface that. I work out five days a week. I eat really healthy. I drink a lot of water. I take vitamin D3. I take um, uh, zinc. I take multivitamins. And what's the orange one? Vitamin C every day. 
Yeah, so, so you were you know, like power. Your your immune system was ready to go, and I'm grateful yeah. that you were able to recover from that. Because I've known a lot of different people from all walks of life. It all affected them differently. Yeah. It seems the story that I hear commonly with people is that it's just such a weird set of symptoms. You know, it doesn't follow the same sort of like process that a normal flu or a cold would. It's almost mm-hmm. like it just tries everything that it could in order to take you down, and all the symptoms seem to be all over the place, scattered all <laughs> over the place. That's true. You know, it's like, what can I do to fuck this person up? I and think you were way sicker than I was. I, I was. I think you were a lot sicker than I was. Mm. Yeah, but I tested like four times and I it came back negative. But I'm not entirely sure. Oh, yeah, sure. I was testing negative. I, was, I forgot to say that. Yeah. all my rapid. Um, I took a rapid test on the way to the doctor and it was negative. <laughs> and, <that's interesting laughs> and I got a PCR test. Because I don't really... Positive. And I I do really, really good with that. I don't go out, you know, very much, you know, especially during this time. I spend a lot of time at home. I work remotely. So I actually don't even know how I got it. And I'm not going to say it was COVID, but I got four tests that all came back negative. So, you know what? Long story short, we're both alive. We're both happy. And I'm glad that you were able to recover from that, Jen. Yeah, me too. Me too. I read an article the other day. There was um, some scientists. Actually, there was a guy from the University of Chicago. He was a microbiologist that started studying the effects of CBD in order to combat COVID. Now, this isn't a medical claim. They're still doing research on it. But apparently what he said was our bodies have these genes that fight virus infection. And for whatever reason, CBD activates these genes. What it does is it prevents virus replication in the lungs, the lung cells. And uh, it's something that they are actively working on clinical trials on. Now that, okay, you know, so that, I didn't, again, this I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Like this is the first time I'm hearing this information, but I will say this, not knowing this information that you just gave me was taking edibles, CBD and THC edibles for the body aches because the body aches were so bad that it was hard to go to sleep. So yeah. I was eating edibles every night and I didn't have any respiratory effects. Okay. Well, this is, I have to put and this in here. This is also a, a little lot. disclaimer, Jen. This is a, this is yes. a, a little caveat to that whole thing because the first yeah. thing that's going to happen when somebody hears it is like, oh, okay, well, let me just go smoke some weed. It's got CBD in it. Let me just go uh, ingest an edible. What this guy's name is Glenn Randall from University of Chicago says that THC blocks the effect of it. Oh, right? so well, that's... <laughs> right. So if, if you guys... And I'm, we're not doctors. We're not giving you any sort of medical advice. But what it said in this uh, uh, article that I read was that it's just pure CBD. More than likely FDA-approved uh, clinical-grade CBD that it works on uh, probably with people it. with uh, epilepsy. And they're still in clinical trials with it. But what he did say, because everybody you know, I knew exactly where you were going with that, because I know a lot of people that would have done that. It's like, oh, okay, well, I have some CBD oil. Sometimes it has traces amount of THC in there, but... If there's any THC at all, somehow completely takes the effect away. It's not going to be as potent. So okay. if, you have pure, well, if you have pure CBD, it might work. Well, if you have body aches as a symptom, the only thing that helped was edibles. There wasn't really? anything like, yes, I took 800 milligrams of ibuprofen and um, Dayquil, NyQuil, nothing. And then John, our friend that also got it, he said, oh, take an edible. It really helps with the body aches. And that was like my number one complaint because it uh-huh. like just the weight of the blanket was uncomfortable. Like, it, you know, my entire body hurt, every single muscle. So I can't wrap my yeah, brain around really that. Like the weight of the blanket hurt. Had that, did that have something to do with your, how it affected maybe your MS? Um, yeah. I have it AS, is. not MS, but yeah. Oh yeah. AS. <clears throat> yeah. It, it put me in some kind of like autoimmune type flare. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. So aside of that, this is just a, a few different things that happened during Mercury Retrograde, which actually is going to be, we're at the pretty much end of it. Uh, we're recording this podcast on the 1st of February and uh, Mercury Retrograde ends on February 3rd. And then we're done, Jen. And there's Thank clear God. skies and yes, good times to come. There's so many different things that happen and we're just going to uh, pinpoint some some things out that I had noticed during uh, the time of the retrograde. Did you know that uh, on January 14th, the day that Mercury retrograde actually started is when that large eruption in Tonga happened? No, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that was the same day. Yeah, it was the same huh. day. So there was a very large eruption on uh, Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai, which is an inhabited volcanic island. Everybody, if you're listening to this, you probably caught wind of it because there are videos online that you can see from space of this volcano exploding from the ground and uh, sent like a shockwave of tsunamis around the world. This is something that you can see from space. So this thing wasn't fucking around. You saw it, right? No, I didn't. You didn't see the eruption Mm -hmm. uh, footage? No, but I'm going to look it up. It's just like this. It looked like a comet hitting the earth. Because you can see this really large cloud of, I imagine, water and dust because it happened in the ocean. Yeah. It happened in the ocean. So there was this uh, 
interesting thing that happened around that time when they started getting these uh, alerts on our phones saying to look out for a potential sort of tsunami along the coasts, especially the West Coast, which is where we're at. Fortunately, there were no tsunamis. My brother lives in San Francisco. It didn't affect him, but it sent this shockwave into into the water and it affected all of the the land surrounding it. So that happened during Mercury retrograde. And also the one other thing I wanted to bring up was there's a Buddhist Vietnamese monk, which I've talked about on the podcast. I think I brought him up during our Alan Watts, Alan Watts episode, Thich Nhat Hanh. We have a few of his books. He actually passed away on the 15th. So a day after retrograde, he began, he was 95 years old. If you guys are in the spiritual community, you've probably know who Thich Nhat Hanh is. He's a Buddhist Vietnamese monk. He's written a lot of really amazing books. He was actually nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1967 for his work opposing the Vietnam War. And he walked alongside uh, Martin Luther King, you know, people like Deepak Chopra, a lot of people, because he's been doing this work for a long time, just saw him as a gift to humanity. He's the one of the people that uh, advocates for that story that we talk a lot about on the podcast about like being really present with what you're drinking and stuff like that. Cause he had like really simple Buddhist teachings. He had a quote that says, when you breathe in and you know that you're breathing in, that is called mindfulness of breathing. And he said that in a talk in 2007, he also said, when you drink your tea, and if you are aware that you are drinking your tea, that is called mindfulness of drinking. That sounds kind of like what we, what we've talked about on yeah. the pod, right? We talk about that a lot, yeah. So he uh, he passed away. He had a stroke, I think, in like 2014, and his health would kind of been steady declining over that time. But he was a really, really prolific teacher, and I was definitely sad to see him go. Another yeah. thing that happened during that time, but one, I think, the most notable, most notable, Jen, is something that we wanted to just bring on the podcast because this was something that affected you in a, in a lot of really intense ways. So what do you think, Jen? <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really hard. So for a lot of you listeners, you know that, and anybody that knows me, uh, knows my dog Sancho, cause he's been with me since for the last 17 years. So he was going to turn 18 in October. And I thought that we had some more time with him, but this time came to an end and he passed away on the 29th, which coincidentally was my grandfather's birthday. And also, coincidentally, the same day that Eric's mom's dog passed away. So, um, oh. So this has been a, a really, really challenging uh, experience for Jen, one of her closest friends. So this is some we had a, a we had a pod uh, a podcast prior, and uh, it was called Animals as Teachers. That podcast was about uh, how animals come into our lives for spiritual reasons and to also be our companions. But during that time, if you remember that episode, Jen, Sancho was having health problems and you weren't sure if he was actually going to make it. So that question of whether or not to put him down because he was suffering kind of came into the field and we weren't entirely sure how we were going to address that because according to you, he still had some juice in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I called, I called Heather McCall, a friend of the show, our um, psychic animal communicator, and she's a healer and does home healing and all kinds of amazing things. But yeah, she had a conversation with him and uh, back then he stopped walking. So uh, I knew that he had a tumor on his spine and he lost function of his front right leg. So he's only had three legs really for like the last year. But it was really sad, but also kind of cute to see him hopping around on his three legs. He was like a yeah. little bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever Heather talked to him, he said that he stopped walking because he knew that I would carry him around, yeah. which is true. When he stopped walking, I just carried him around everywhere. And he wouldn't even stand up to potty outside. He wanted me to come out there and hold him up too. So he told Heather, oh, you know, I'm her baby. So I just stopped walking because I knew, you know, she would just do everything for me. So I told Heather, I said, will you tell Sancho that he almost got the fucking gas chamber because I thought he was dying, you yeah. know? So she, she told him and then the next day he started walking. So, and he didn't walk for like two, three weeks prior to that. So, um, I thought that was kind of funny, but yeah. So the, the tumor on his spine, you know, got worse and the cancer, uh, spread to his brain. So he started having seizures and, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a dog have a seizure, but it is like really horrific. Like, yeah. Words cannot, cannot describe. I mean, it's, I've seen people have seizures and I I think while seeing a dog have a seizure is worse. So he would let out these like blood curdling screams before he would have a seizure. And it was so loud. I could hear him upstairs in my office when I was working. Yeah. So it's painful. You know, he was on pain medication three times a day, kind of like a drug seeker. I mean, if I was even five minutes late on his dose for his next, his next pain pill, he would start barking incessantly 
and wouldn't stop barking until he got his pain pill. So it was- During that time, that last episode, Animals as Teachers, that was a real dilemma whether or not you should let him go. And you almost, we almost did. And with good reason, because he had all the symptoms of an animal that was suffering that didn't have any more time left. I remember Jen texting me and she was like, you know what? I don't think it's time. And so she held in there and he ended up pulling through. And how many, you got a few months out of that one, right? How long, how long had it been since that, that conversation? Do you remember? Gosh, I I don't remember, but I feel like maybe six months. Yeah. Six months, I think. And that doctor yeah. was telling you like, oh, it was time for him to go. And you were like, no, bitch, it's not yeah, time like, to no, go. I don't think so. I was like, hey, you know, you, you just feel it. And that's part of the connection that you have with your animals, right? Like you don't have to be, you know, I, I refer to Heather. She's an animal communicator and animal psychic, but really anybody can be an animal communicator and animal psychic. We're all born with that ability. Same with mediumship. Yeah. You're, you're not some special person that can do this. Everybody can do it. You just have to hone the skill. And that's something that, you know, maybe if you're looking back on yourself as a child that uh, you notice that your connection to animals was is different right and um, it's much stronger whenever you're a little kid and as we get older you know you start to get caught up in all things life and and kind of separate yourself from that but with Sancho because he was in my life every single day I still had like a pretty strong link to him I couldn't have couldn't receive the information that maybe Heather can because she's she's trained and this is something that she does every day. But yeah. I, I think one thing that we need to get past in order to be able to have that connection with our animals is that barrier that maybe some people have, the limit, I guess, the intelligence that an, they perceive the animal to have. And they don't automatically believe that an animal can love in the same way humans do or that they can feel in the same way that humans do. And I noticed that once you get past that barrier and you actually intrinsically know and accept that an animal does have the capability to love you in the same way that you love them, then I think Mm -hmm. you open the door to have that psychic connection because with my cat, Binks, and 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 this doesn't even have to be like a woo-woo thing, like when you're with your animal for, you know, 15, 20 years, you start to notice everything about how they move, the habits that they have the different behaviors that they sort of exhibit when you're around them. And that is sort of psychic energy because when you're, when you're dealing with an animal, that's non-verbal communication most of the time. I mean, I think it picks up on subtle tones and the way that you speak to it. But I think our, our communication with, with animals through our behavior and their behavior is very much psychic. Oh, yeah. Like I know exactly yeah. what my animal is feeling just by how she walks, how she shows up every single day. And uh, I think if we're tuned into that, then we can develop a stronger connection with our animals. So I, I definitely agree with you. We all have the ability to tap into that. Yeah, absolutely. And the way animals communicate is, is exactly how the dead communicates in mediumship, right? You know, they're on a different level. They're much higher vibration than we are. And same with animals because they've mastered unconditional love. So their vibration is much higher than ours. And wow. if you want to communicate with them, they actually have to dip down and then you have to come up and then you meet in the middle. So just like with mediumship, they have to lower their vibration and you have to raise yours by sitting in the power and uh, in order to com- communicate with the dead. It's the same with animals. And one you thing can that receive I, messages knowing, seeing, feeling, smelling, all of those things. One thing that I wanted to bring up that I thought was really, really important about this this whole thing was that, like you said, uh, Sancho was dying. Sent, Jen sent me a text message. She was just like, you know what? It's time for him to go. And uh, she had to make that decision to do it, I think, the following day. Right. So it was a really, really sad, really, really difficult day over the weekend to have to move through that. And synchronistically at the exact same time, and I don't know exactly what the significance of this is, but it seems pretty significant, which is uh, my mother has a, a dog named Tish. And this dog has been in my life since she was a baby. She's been as far back as I think 2007 which is a long, long time. So she's had this dog for a long time. Anyways, she uh, was in the same boat as Sancho. She's an elderly dog. She was approaching the end of her days and she had a lot of different health problems. Noticeably, you can kind of see she had difficulty walking around. She stopped eating. A lot of the stuff that you told me Sancho was kind of going through. So my mother said that same day, the same day that Jen messaged me saying that she's going to have to put Sancho to sleep, my mother told me the exact same thing about Tish. The exact same thing at the exact same time. At 11.11. At, at 11.11, right? There's, so there's this uh, interesting feeling, I think, that came over us that there was some significance to this. We can look at it like a soul tribe or even we were sort of waxing poetic about this, Jen, is like maybe they were sort of twin flames. Sancho was a male and Tish was a female. And we did this really interesting thing as Tish was um, at home resting the day before and while Sancho was at home 
resting the day before. I was like, you know what? Why don't we share pictures of each of the puppies to each of the dogs and see how they react to the photo? So I sent you a photo. I sent Mm -hmm. you a photo of Tish and you showed it to Sancho. And what did he do? He lifted his head up um, so he could like get a good look. And he kind of moved his head in a little closer and was staring at the photo. And I've never seen him do that. (laughs) I've never tried to show him anything on my phone, but I feel like he would normally wouldn't care. But I was talking to him and I said, hey, this is Tish. She's going to cross over to, you know, I want to show you her picture so you can look for her. And he was laying down and he lifted his head up and he looked at her photo and then kind of leaned in a little closer. It was really cute. And I was like, oh, he knows her. He knew, yeah. he knew who she was. And, and Jen did the same thing. She sent me a photo of Sanch. I sent it to my mom. I told my mom, like, show Tish this, see how she reacts. Tish reacted exactly the same way, exactly the same way. And I know as a human being, this is something that we all kind of go through when it comes to our sort of mortality. When we think of the idea of transitioning, and I think one of the number one things that I think people fear is being alone, is not having people surrounding. And I know that regardless of whether or not Tish was a part of that, that Sancho wasn't alone. I think it gave me some comfort because although Tish wasn't my dog, I had a lot of really amazing memories. And I know that my mom was sort of struggling the same way that you were, Jen. The idea that Tish would be there with Sancho and Sancho would be there with Tish once they cross over and can kind of sort of run into the light together seemed like a very comforting Mm -hmm. thought, right? It was. It was actually really helpful. Yeah. We're thinking of like, what is the significance of that? For that to happen exactly at the same time, and this, you know, can bring in a lot of different conversations about soul tribes and, you know, the people that we associate outside of this life that we've reincarnated over and over and over with. The fact that it synchronistically happened at the same time, to me, it was a really beautiful thing because it it was going to happen regardless, right? The inevitability of that passing was, was going to happen, but I also feel like it helped you, Jen, move through that process a little easier. Although I know it's definitely... Difficult for sure, but the idea that, you know, an animal that you love is going to be transitioning into the light with another animal while running side by side feels better. Yeah, yeah it, it did. It did. There was a, there was certainly some comfort that he wasn't going to be by himself and I didn't want him to be scared. There was a couple things like I didn't want him to be scared. So I took him for a ride and we drove around and I talked to him about what I thought was going to happen and, you know, how tomorrow was going to go. So this is after I picked him up from the vet and they told me like, hey, you know, you need to put him down. Do you want to come back? Like, what do you want to do? And I said, "Uh, I'll come back tomorrow. I want to take him home. I want him to spend another night with us. And we made a mistake. He had a filet mignon for dinner and um, we, we took him on a walk and put him, well, he doesn't walk. So we put him in his dog stroller. And um, we did all his favorite things, you know, everything he wanted to do. We wanted to give him an opportunity to say goodbye to his brothers. And it was, it was really interesting because the whole house knew, like all of the animals knew. And when we came home from the vet, they were all waiting at the front door and they never do that. And they're all waiting at the front door and nobody was jumping. Nobody was being obnoxious like they normally do. Um, I walked in and I was holding Sancho and I put him down and they all just kind of like huddled around him yeah. and Biggie his Biggie is like the closest I think the closest animal to him and Biggie licked his face and then um, went down went and laid down with him and they laid together you know for most of the day that is the exact so same story really, that that my mother told me about Tish because uh, my mother also has two other chihuahuas so kind of very very similar situation to you Jen she's the uh, has a uh, three chihuahuas Tish was one of them and she was saying the same thing like they all kind of felt that they knew something was going to happen. Their sort of behavior changed. They seemed to not be as rowdy. They seemed to be a little bit more humbled around them. There was actually an, an article that I read, and there was a fellow named Brent Atwater, and he says that when pets pass and animals are ready to make their transition from earthly to spiritual, earthly realm to the spiritual realm, they will know 24 to 48 hours before they pass. The pets do. And 10 days to two weeks beforehand sometimes. They will give their owner a sign, a type of memory moment. So it's common during this time for them to distance themselves and attempt to maybe separate their energy to make it easier as the animal knows it will be rough on its owner, right? So maybe they can do something completely out of character that gets your attention, you know, and as you look back over the two weeks before a pet passed, you'll remember this uh, out of character sort of moment. So he's basically just speaking to like, you know, pets seem to know in advance sometimes and they'll give you subtle clues. Yeah, I follow this woman on on YouTube, her name's Danielle McKinnon, and she's an animal communicator. And I really went down the rabbit hole and watched all her videos whenever Sancho was sick the first time six months ago, you know, and I, we were talking about this. And um, she was saying that 
before a pet passes that they really plan their passing. So they know ahead of time and there's a lesson in every single thing, every single thing that they do, every action, every moment that you have with them, there's, there's a lesson to be learned. And I thought that that was really interesting that Sancho would plan for me to have to make that decision because it was the hardest decision I ever had to make. And I was completely crushed. I mean, crushed is an understatement. I cried for three days straight, like didn't nonstop. I mean, my fake eyelashes all fell out. I had to go get my eyelashes redone because I literally cried them off. And I'm not a crier. Like I never cry. I'm not a crier. And cried, 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 cried my little heart out more than more tears than I've cried my entire life. And I think that that was part of it, right? Like he wanted me to feel that level of emotion. And yeah. Yeah. And I think that he also made the conscious decision to stick around after the first time. You know, I think he he knew the impact that he would have made having him maybe transitioned out. And I think that he did a compassionate act, a sort of like a bodhisattva sort of a thing where he just was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a little bit more time. But the fact that he transitioned in the way that he did, you know, the pets come and teach us so many different things. He allowed you to access certain emotions inside of you, but he also ta- taught you the most important thing throughout the course of you guys actually being together, which is what it means to love, you know, like what it, what, yeah. what it means to take care and love something that loves you unconditionally. It's not like a human being where you have all these different sort of subjective experiences, like a, an animal, especially your pet, you know, when they're connected to you, the only decision, the option for them is to love you 100%. You know, something else I learned uh, in this whole process that I was actually kind of surprised about is the amount of guilt that I felt when he passed on. And the guilt was around every time I lost my temper with him or got Uh, upset with him or yelled at him or, you know, got annoyed with him or didn't want to pet him whenever he was, you know, in my face or as he got older and all of his teeth fell out and his breath smelled so bad, I wouldn't let him lick me in the face anymore. And, um, I know that hurt his feelings. So like he wanted, he wanted to be able to show me love and, um, yeah just the overwhelming guilt that I had for every single moment that I took for granted. So you can feel that so much more intensely with an animal that does absolutely nothing but love you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It kind of shows you clearly where the work that you need to sort of um, work on yourself is. I went through the same thing with Binks, the exact same thing that you're talking about. Although Binks is, is she's still alive, but during those moments where she was really, really deathly ill and sick, one thing that came into my mind was like all the times where, you know, she pissed outside of her litter box and I um, happened to sort of break character and kind of yell at her a little bit. And I was just like, oh, I felt so bad for that. Right. But I also think that animals understand. I mean, especially dogs are pack animals, you know, they respect and they acknowledge their being a sort of like authority figure around like a leader. My, my sister has these dogs and my sister always tells me this story about how they seem to like her husband more than her. And my sister is the nicer one to the animals. And Mm -hmm. her husband is the little bit, she's, he's a little bit more strict. He's not like mean or violent to them, but he's more like straightforward and direct. You know, if they're doing something wrong, he lets them know. But for whatever reason, they flock to him more than her. And she's the nicer one to them. So I had this conversation with her and she was just saying that like, you know, dogs are, they're pack animals. They acknowledge the omega, uh, I mean, sorry, the alpha in the group and they respect, they respect him. I think that's the, the conversation that she had with me is that like, although he's a little bit more direct and she's nice, they respect him because of, he seems to be sort of leading the pack and I think that in the way that I take care of my animals in very much the same way, you obviously don't want to just allow them to get away with just shitting on your carpet or peeing in the corner. But my sensitivity when that happened with Binks was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. That was the wrong thing to do. But it's like, you know, you also acknowledge that like you're human too. I hope you were easier on yourself when you thought about that. No, I wasn't. I think that was the hardest part. That really? that was the absolute hardest part. I just had so much guilt for, I mean, I got Sancho when I was young, young. And, you know, when you're young, you're fucking, you're selfish and you do so many stupid things. And, you know, all, all the times that like this time specifically, I have a story and I'm not proud of this. This is very sad. So I worked in the hospital and I worked 12 hour shifts and, um, Sancho, he was so good. He would hold, hold his bladder for 12 hours until I got home. And I never kept him in a kennel or anything like that. He was just a good boy, you know, and he would patiently wait for me to get home 
But I, I knew the second that I got out, I went straight home to let him out, right? And uh, I got a text message from my neighbor and said that Santo was barking and he wouldn't stop barking. And I was like, ah, I'm at the hospital. I can't leave work, you know, and my door was locked and, you know, I lived by myself. So nobody had a key and, um, he just barked and barked and barked. And, and my neighbor's like calling me. She's like, he won't stop barking. I don't know what to do. He's driving me nuts. And, um, I came straight home and he had Giardia and he shit my house wall to wall. I mean, oh. there was diarrhea shit all over the place, all over my furniture, my rugs, on the walls. I mean, it was insane. And he was so embarrassed. He had his tail down. Like, he was so embarrassed. And I was like, oh. And I was, like, mad. But at the same time, I felt so bad for him because he was so embarrassed. And I felt like, God, I am the worst mom in the whole world. This poor dog was, you know, trying to tell me he was sick. And I left him here all day. And... He's just in, stuck in his own shit. Yeah. So anyway, well, I wrote him a letter. And I, after, after all this, you know, like all of the stories, like the, the good memories and then like the times that weren't so great, you know, and I think that that was helpful. I, I think I, it's I think, helpful to admit all of, all of the things that you did wrong and ask for forgiveness. Yeah. I think that they're there. I try and kind of keep in mind of this sort of like, um, a subtle dance that happens when we live with sort of domesticated animals. It's so easy to forget the fact that they are at the very core animals that are not human. They have maybe the same attributes over time once we spend enough time with them. But whenever Binks, for example, like would scratch on things, you know, your ego comes in right away, which is like, oh, this fucking cat's destroying my furniture, you know. Or, uh, you know, when a, when a dog is constantly begging for food or if, like, you turn your head and then your cheeseburger is gone, you're just like, oh, what the fuck? This dog's eating my shit. We forget that these are wild animals. We forget that these are wild animals. Like, it, it is good for a cat's health to be able to scratch and also at the same time, animal, like, especially dogs or pack animals. When you're eating, they think it's time to eat because in the sort of pack that they're a part of, that's that, that they, th- you know, they're used to sharing and sort of giving. So... I just try not to forget the fact that, like, it is not their choice. I mean, it is their choice, but just because they become our animals doesn't mean that those wild sides in them disappear. Mm-hmm. And I find myself, uh, I've gotten mad when it comes to certain things that my my cat's done that, like, really, really inconvenienced me. And I definitely feel feel bad about those times. But I try and look at those as opportunities to sort of like chicken with myself and figure out where my triggers are. But also at the same time, it's like there has to be balance because you do need to implement some level of teaching for them too. Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, cats are so different too. They're so different from dogs. And I try to be like my dogs are major beggars, major uh-huh. beggars, and they drive me nuts with that. <laughs> and Sancho, I never like as a as a puppy, like I never gave him human food. He only had dog food. And then I took him to... Um, my dad's birthday party and um, it was like a crawfish boil and there so we're outside and there's maybe like a hundred people there and somebody gave him a piece of steak and since then he never had people food in his whole life and here he is like six years old and gets people food for the first time and it's a damn steak Oh, and that was the end he, of that. it was over after that. It was, it was over. over. Yep. So now but because you said, you know, you were talking about this and I, I read this somewhere that dogs beg because they're pack animals and they're looking to the alpha and the alpha always eats first and then we'll share with them like the leftovers. Right. So I try to keep that in mind every time they start begging. So it doesn't piss me off (laughs) (laughs) and I give them a little piece of whatever I'm eating. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you always hear, and I've had this conversation with several people in the past because when I, I, I realized that like my, my pet is like a child to me. And every once in a while, you come across those people that just see animals as animals. They don't think that they have emotions in the same way, that they don't feel love in the same way. I think that's starting to die out. And then, But this is the reason why I feel like animals definitely make a choice to love us. Because you think your animal is domesticated, at least from my perspective, from my cat, hangs out with you, it loves you, cuddles up on you, it eats alongside of you. But the second that cat sees a bird, right, the second that cat (laughs) sees a wild animal... That shit, that domestication mm-hmm. goes right out the fucking window and that animal turns into sure wild animal mm-hmm. and it just completely breaks character and that shit goes batshit crazy on some animals, right? After it does that whole business, say it takes a pigeon out, say it like finds a squirrel and it comes back inside, it becomes your animal again. That animal definitely chooses to not go ape shit on you 
every single day. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel like animals definitely make a choice to love us because they could so easily be that wild animal on the streets, that, that feral cat that just like clipping off squirrels here and there. Like, you know, your animal's just super chill when they're around you, but they never lose that animal instinct, you know? For sure. And it's so interesting how all their personalities are so different, right? <laughs> Biggie, Sancho, Django, the three of them are all so, so different. Django is the sweetest, most loving dog. And then the devil comes out in him. <laughs> I, if there's any food around, it's like, I've, I've never seen anything like this. He just completely transforms and fangs and will bite you. And any other time he is just like the most sweet, loving, you know, just like the best, sweetest little dog. And then Biggie, he doesn't like Led Zeppelin. He really doesn't like any kind of music where there's, it has a high pitch, like high pitch voice. Like anything so he doesn't really like high pitch voices. Yeah. No Led Zeppelin. <laughs> hates Led Zeppelin. What? He'll go hide under the bed anytime we, anytime we put Led Zeppelin on. He's like those and, posers. And um, he doesn't like smoke. He doesn't like campfires. He doesn't like incense. He doesn't like weed smoke. He doesn't like any smoke at all. So, um, if there's any smoke around, he'll take off. (laughs) It's so funny how they're all, they have like their own little personalities, but Sancho was just like cool as a fan, just the coolest little guy. So easygoing. He never really, like he would only bark if it was super necessary. He was just like really laid back. And even people that didn't like dogs love Sancho. So it's, you brought this up, you know, that some people are like, oh, it's just a dog. And I put up a little Instagram post about Sancho and I expected to get somebody that was like, oh, it's just a dog. And thankfully nobody said that to me because would have lost it because he wasn't just a dog, you know, like he was the most kind, gentle, wise little spirit and, you know, was just here raising me. (laughs) for the last 17 years. Yeah, we live in a very different time now. I remember I went to this uh, pet shop opening a while back. This was years ago. And I don't even know why I ended up going to this pet shop um, opening, but everybody there had animals. And then you you walk inside and you have these people that are talking to other people about their animals, like they're talking about their children going to elementary school, right? And I remember overhearing a few people talking about their animals as if they were their kids. And I ended up engaging in a few people and they were like, you know what? It, it is not financially feasible to have a child, first of all, especially in California. It's really, really difficult to raise a child. So an animal, especially from the millennials, is the next best option to have a pet. So they very much see yeah. them and treat them as little children. I agree with that. They, they, they you develop this and, you know, I don't think it just has to do with the time that we're in. If you spend enough time with an animal, that, that sort of biological impulse in you to want to care for this animal kind of comes in and it just feels natural to kind of build that connection with them. But the one thing that I learned the most from Binks, my cat, is she has this presence about her. I don't know how it is in contrast with you, Jen, but Binks is just this cat that all day long is just in the moment, 100% reinforced in that space. And there's nothing that really deters her from being in that moment. So I can come home and I can be, you know, I could have anxiety or I could have a particularly stressful day or maybe the energy of the world outside becomes a little bit too intense. And whatever type of emotion I happen to be feeling, whether or not it's happy or sad or anxious or angry, the whole myriad of different things that come in and you experience through life, your cat doesn't embody any of that. No matter how many issues that you come to with your animal, your animal's always going to help ground you into the moment effortlessly without even needing to say words. They just are there. And then at least for a dog, they're just like, hey, let me love you. And with a cat, just like they're your buddies, they want to hang out with you. So that's the one really, really big thing that I've learned from my cat beings, which is the art of presence, the art of just being here now with your animal. Like they don't give a fuck about your problems. They don't care about what you're going through. They just want you to be there with them. You know, it's funny. I, I kind of disagree with that because I felt like Sancho did care about my problems. Like if I was really upset, he was right there, like glued to me in my lap, you know, just loving me and trying to love my problems out of me, you know? And I've noticed that with the other two dogs too, since Sancho's passed, like the first, the first night was especially hard because we had a routine, right? We had like you know, the two young ones would go outside, we would give Sancho his pills and um, then we'd carry him outside and, you know, everybody takes their time and then we go inside, I carry him upstairs, go to bed. And it was really weird, like not having his energy in the house, like just having the two young ones and not having Sancho and not having him in the, in the bed. And the first night, Jeremy and I just cried in the bed, just like cried ourselves to sleep. 
and talked about how much we missed him and how weird it was that he wasn't around, you know? Yeah. And the two, and the two young ones were really trying to just like love us. You know, they were just like really trying to be there and hold space for us and, and support us. It was really, it was really pretty cool. Um, I, and, I, and even still like I'm, I'm here by myself now cause Jeremy's out of town and, um, all, all of the animals are here in the office, <laughs> like, uh, while know. I'm podcasting, laying around. Yeah. And what I'm saying is, is, is the animals definitely care, right? My, my cat Binks knows when I'm going through something 100%, right? I've been on conversations, mm-hmm. just be with people over the phone or I come home feeling a certain way. And she emits a certain behavior that she normally doesn't do unless she's very concerned about something. So I think that they definitely care. I think what I'm speaking to more is that they're not going to sit there and add to the drama in any way. Yeah. Like they they aren't concerned with that sort of intellectual sort of a capacity to wax poetic about crazy shit that we normally do with our egos on a regular everyday basis. They can feel your pain, but what they can yeah. do so effortlessly is bring you back down to the ground. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. effortlessly. Like, so, so in that sense, they, they, they can feel the feelings. They can understand that there's an issue, but they're not too concerned with trying to talk you through exactly what that issue is. One, because they can't, they just want to bring you back into the moment. And they do that. Like my cat knows exactly how I'm feeling all the time, which is a really fucking crazy thing. I I think that's 100% psychic. It's hard to explain to people that don't have animals, but me and my cat are connected to where I know exactly what she needs to without even needing to say anything. That's a really, really interesting experience to have. And it's the most common, like as, as far as like, uh, animal communication, the most common is the, that knowing, you know, and it's the same with mediumship too. That's the most common clear. It's just that sense of knowing. Yeah. So I was reading something the other day, Jen, maybe this might uh, brighten the spirits a little bit. And this is something that I, I'm going to consider too. There was a book called Will Your Dog Reincarnate by Gail Graham. And she says that dogs reincarnate every day because of the length of the human lifespan. Human beings can't usually reincarnate and rejoin their loved ones again in this life. But because dogs' lives are so much shorter, they can and they do reincarnate and return to their beloved owners. And that makes sense because their duration of life is much shorter than a human being. And so the question is, okay, well, does that happen? Does your animal suddenly come into your life as your next pet? And this is something that definitely would be worthy to explore. I ended up finding this article about this TikToker named Brooke Lowry. She posted a story to her IG about her cat Gigi, who passed away suddenly due to, um, it was a feline infectious peritonitis which is the kitten equivalent to the coronavirus. So she only had this cat for, I think she said a month and a half. She developed this really, really solid intimate connection with this cat. And she studied certain behaviors that this cat had. For example, she noticed her cat would always attack a certain corner of her carpet and her rug. She noticed that her cat would always spend more time in certain areas of the house. So she had an idea of the habits that this cat had. Anyway, her kitten passed away. She adopted a baby dog named Chonk. And Chonk? What for whatever reason, name. yeah, Chonk, Chonk. Chonk. <clears throat> he started adopting the exact same behaviors, Jen. Started attacking the same area of the carpet, started hanging out in the same areas of the, the house that the kitten did. And at least from my estimation, this dog was doing exactly the same things that this cat was doing when the cat had been in the house. So she thinks that this animal reincarnated into this dog. What do you think of that? You know, I, I've heard contra. Well, you know, I've, like I said, I went down the rabbit hole with animal communicators. I heard a contradiction to that. I heard that they don't usually reincarnate with you again, mm-hmm. but they do help choose your next animal. Like, oh, yeah. so they, you know, they actually pick the right one for you and they become that animal's guide. So I've heard that too, yeah, but I think I'm- anything is possible. And yeah, I'm sure all those things are possible. Back. It makes sense because of the, 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 the lifespan that they have, you know, like if I lost my cat Binks and she decided to come back as a, you know, Siamese ragdoll cat. And I started picking up on certain behaviors that you would only know about, right? I'm sure if you mm-hmm. decided to get another yeah. dog and it happened to be a puppy and it started doing exactly the same things that Sancho used to do, like how could that possibly be? Yeah. I mean, there's one thing that Sancho used to do all the time and this is so gross, <laughs> but Sancho's never had, um, never had a lady, you know, um, Sanch as handsome as he is. 
I know. I got him fixed like pretty early on. So oh, he see. never had a lady lady friend okay. in that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, he used to lay down on the carpet like froggy style. So he would spread his legs out and um, he would rub back and forth on the carpet. And oh, okay. he would only do it okay, if okay. nobody was watching. Okay. And then if I said something to him, I'm like, Sancho, what are you doing? He would stop and he would look at me like super embarrassed. <laughs> 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 like I caught him in his bedroom with a sock, you know. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, I felt like his mom. But there's, yeah. There's a, yeah, so he used to jerk off on my carpet. It was pretty pretty funny. Do you know what that's pretty that, <laughs> that is that isn't it, it's pretty common. They remember back um there was this animal. It was a pug, I think it was. It, it was a pug and he this pug became really really famous for self-masturbation. I, I don't know exactly how that works, but if you want to see a demo <laughs> of this dog doing this, you can watch the movie Garden State. You remember oh, the movie yeah. Garden State? Oh my God. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there was like this, this long uh, time. yeah, there was this like part of the movie where this guy was like, woke up in his friend's house after a party and he woke up and he just looks over at this dog that's just sitting there jerking off on his back. <laughs> right. And you're just like, whoa, Funny. you know what? Good for you. If, if they have enough cognition in order to pull that off, it's like, okay, well, how are you? Yeah. Can't really get mad I'll at that. I'll turn my back. Yeah. That's something I'll a Sancho would do. Him. You know what I mean? I mean, his name's Sancho. Come on. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he had, and he loved the ladies too. Absolutely loved the ladies. My, yeah. um, I let my friends, uh, Jeff and Chase, watch him. Uh, I went out of town. I forget where I was going. And uh, I didn't have a dog sitter. So they're like, oh, we'll, we'll watch him. And they just love Sancho. And this was, I was in my early 20s at this time. Well, maybe like mid-20s actually. And, you know, they were wild. They were two young, handsome guys that were at the club all weekend and then would bring people home and have, you know, after parties at their house. And, you know, so there was always something going on there. Sasha's like seen a, somebody fucking. Oh, I'm many times, I'm sure. <laughs> so many times. So they lived in this like pretty nice apartment building complex and um, they had some people over and then they're looking around for him and Sancho's gone. And they're like, oh, Shit, Jen oh, wow. is going to murder us. We lost oh, Sancho. That's one hundred percent correct. Yeah, it's <laughs> like three in the morning, and they're walking around everywhere, calling his name, looking for him. You know, panic in full blown panic. They called my friend Heidi um, to come over and help him look for him. And there was a party going on uh, in another apartment that was five or six floors above them, and a girl was holding Sancho. And she said, hey, is this your dog? She yelled down at him. They're like- She had a little the, cocktail dress on and her high heels. Yeah, yeah. Holding Sancho and <laughs> Sancho's partying. And um, they're like, oh my God, yes. So they go up to the party and it's like, you know, a bunch of bunch of girls, hot girls there. And oh. Sancho heard the party going on. So he left the party with all the guys and got in the elevator and got himself up there to that party wow. and just walked right in. Just followed somebody in, went into the party. In true Sancho so, fashion. <laughs> he, that's not the first time he had done that. I mean, he if he wanted to be somewhere, he was getting there. Like he yeah. would wait for as long as it took to get in an elevator or for somebody to open the door for him or whatever and let him in wherever he wanted to go. Um, but yeah. he was very patient like that. So yeah, old Sancho, he just took himself to the party with the pretty girls. He, you know, he lived a really, really full life. And that's one thing that I also have to remember with my cat banks. It's like, you know, it, it really puts things into perspective that, you know, nothing can last forever, at least not the physical sort of side of that. But the love that you learn from these animals or something that you just always carry with you, you know, like they spent all of their life teaching you love how to love yourself, what it means to love and care for other animals. And it's it would seem so easy to mourn, of course, over their passing. I think that's going to happen because that's a really big, really big change. But one thing that I would try and remember if I had lost my cat or if I do lose my cat is that they invested their entire life to reincarnate and choose you as their friend to teach you about love. And at the end of their life, you will have learned that 100% because you feel the love that you have for him now so strongly and so intensely. And I think we can pay respect and honor to those animals by loving ourselves in the same way that we love them and the same way that they loved us. By like practicing that love in everything and how we interact with other people and trying to find Sancho or, you know, your pet in another human being. Because we all have access to that reservoir of love, right? We all have access to that love. It's just about what we do in order to be able to tap into that. And so there's this quote by Rumi that I've 
liked for many, many years. And he says that goodbyes are for those that love with their eyes, but for those that love with their hearts, there's no separation. That's beautiful. So, yeah, so if we like close our eyes and try to like really, really unpack this in my mind, which is the only thing that separates us from each other are our physical bodies, right? So we have that energy of source running through our veins all the time. And the only thing that gives us this idea that we're separate is because of the fact that I have this carbon body and other people have the same thing. But if we were to close our eyes or if we didn't have these bodies, that energy were to just smack together into this one sort of hole that consists of this sort of like wave of these loving feelings that we have, the the core of who we are, that loving space. And so I think when we close our eyes, we can still feel the people that we've lost or the animals that we've lost because we're able to access that same area of the heart that we access while they were alive. You don't ever, ever lose access to that, you know? You know, it, that was one thing that I thought was a little interesting too. After Sancho passed, I thought that I would be able to feel him around, um, that I'd still be able to feel like his spirit or his energy. And I didn't, like, I didn't, I don't feel him at all. And uh, I think that was giving me some anxiety too. So I reached out to Heather and um, made an appointment with her. I said, I can't talk about it yet. You know, I'm like not in the place for, to, to be able to communicate with him yet, but I want to. So um, I have an appointment with her next week. So we'll have to What do you do mean that you can't feel him at all? Are you talking about like physical proximity? Like you'd think that you'd look down and you'd be able to feel him by your legs or something? No, no. I, I thought that I would energetically be able to feel feel him yeah. and I don't I don't I don't feel his energy at all and yeah. I thought I would be able to so I was that gave me like a weird sense of separation anxiety so yeah so TBD on that I'll let you know what Heather says after my appointment with her see what he what Sancho has to say right and it's going to be it's going to be a difficult thing best thing is to just feel through it you know it's like our spirits are so connected to these animals but at the same time like every part of our body is connected like your neurons we're receiving this sort of like dopamine or serotonin or norepinephrine or oxytocin whatever feeling that you feel when you're on your animals like your body is adjusted to that and when that's taken away from you you don't have that access to that. I think that your body goes through some sort of adjustment or at least a shock. And that's where I think that mourning period is definitely normal. It's hard to say when that's going to end, but I, I think what I would do in that process is to just honor them by being as happy as I can and just enjoying life in the same way that our animals enjoyed life. I don't think that Sancho would want you to be unhappy. I don't think that he would yeah, want I you know. to cry. I think that he yeah, would want that's... you to love others in the same way that you loved him. You know? Yeah, I know. I know. That's what he wants. For all of you out there, if you have a pet that is about to transition and in their last days, something that I did notice uh, about Sancho as he was kind of like making making his change was he started to separate a little bit, like separate from me. And he seemed like a little bit more confused and a little bit more like disoriented and like not as present as he normally felt. And this is another Daniel McKinnon thing. She said that when she communicates with animals, she can actually see their soul like leaving their body that it takes. It happens over the process of a couple of weeks and um, they actually start to lose their soul out of their ass, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, and it comes like off their tail. So uh, when I was holding him, whenever we were at the vet to have him put down, I didn't feel his energetic body. I felt like he was already gone, even though he was still alive, which was a very bizarre feeling. And I told, I told Jeremy that when we were standing there, I was like, I don't really feel his spirit. I feel like he's already like disconnected. Interesting so, about what, even thing though about his what physical body was alive. Interesting thing about what you're telling me is my, my mom sent me a text because I was in communication with her because she was having a really difficult time with it. And her husband, which it was his dog, he was having the even worse time with it. But we have this sort of like family group chat where we're all trying to send our condolences and trying to keep the spirits high for my mother. But she said that when she took it to, to the vet, that it didn't even seem like she was there. The vet said that she was just like a shell, like she wasn't there at all. And you know your animal, you know if they're there or not. And it makes me think of like hospice work. You know, you can read about this in, you know, the books of Raymond Moody or PMH Atwater, where the spirit can leave the body while the body is still alive. And they talk about this too, when it comes to trauma victims. And there were a few people, I remember reading a book about this um, emergency care 
uh, this person that rode in an ambulance and also worked alongside of uh, different physicians in the ER, they said that they believed that the person's spirit leaves the body before the human being experiences severe amounts of trauma. They validate this in the books of like Raymond Moody, which is like there's only a certain num- amount of pain that a human will go through before the body separates and pretty much saves you from experiencing anything too crazy. And there's this weird thing that happens where the body is still very much alive, but the spirit is gone. And I do believe that. I do believe that the spirit can leave the body while the person is still there. They can be a little bit, I guess, maybe lethargic. They just don't seem entirely all there. Yeah. You know, it's really weird when I worked in the hospital and people would die, like we would run a coat on someone and they would die or, you know, I would be around someone when they were passing, I could feel their, I could feel their soul, like leave the room, you know, like leave their body and leave the room. And I thought that that was what I would experience with Sancho because I was so close with him. And that's not at all what I experienced. I thought for sure that I would feel his spirit like leave and I didn't. And here I am with these human strangers that I have no connection to at all other than being their, you know, healthcare provider that I could, I could feel their spirit go. It was an interesting experience and, and certainly not one that I ever want to have to do again. And it's, it's so funny. Had I known that, had I had any foresight to what I experienced with Sancho, I don't think that I would have ever gotten another animal. Like, I think that would have been my only one. Cause now I think about like, oh man, I've got to go through this. And just thinking about that, oh, it's overwhelming. Well, it's a difficult difficult thing. You also have like other animals too, Joe. Jen, you have like a two main coons, which I imagine are a handful. And then you have... Well, one's pregnant, so we're about to have more than two. Oh my goodness. The female's pregnant. I know. I'm like, oh God. So oh God. yeah. When, when does she do? When is she expected? I don't know. I don't know. She just out of nowhere got hugely fat. And then I felt her little oh. belly and I was like, oh my God, she is pregnant. Did you guys intend on doing she that? she got pregnant. No, we had them separated. Every time she went into heat, we would put her in Jeremy's office and let Zeppelin, you know, roam around. Yeah. But yeah, we did not want her to get pregnant yet. She's still a baby. She's not even a year old. Wow. Little hussy. <laughs> you know, you should get, you should get a wolf, Jen. I was reading this article the other day. They were doing some research on how wolves ended up being, you know, a corgi or just domesticated animals. I think that they're still sort of researching that, but like a fun fact that I learned was to domesticate wolves, it has to be before three weeks of age and 24 hours exposure, right? And that's different than a dog. Regular dogs only need 90 minutes a day in order to be able to develop a sort of relationship where you can domesticate animals, but wolves are so entirely different. They said that you have to do it before three weeks of age and you have to do, you have to expose yourself to them 24 hours a day. Otherwise they just never build that connection with you. Wow. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Not that we would ever get a wolf, but man. Yeah. So you're doing okay though. Uh, I'm touch and go. I'll be, I'll be honest. (laughs) I'll be honest. Today was a good day. Yeah. Today was a good day. Has it gotten better over time? I'm, I'm Well, I've been doing, uh, yeah, yes, yes. I could say yes. Like I was in a very, very bad place the first couple days and, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing much better now, but I've been doing meditations and I've been kind of like overdosing on animal communication, animal connection, animal rainbow bridge videos, like everything on YouTube. I'm just like consuming as much information as I can about, about animals crossing over. And it's given me a lot of comfort to know, to have all that information, you know, to know that he's okay. And his little, he met his spirit friends on the other side, Tish is there with him and Lucky Dog and, you know, all of, all of my other, all of my other pets. Are all there of to our animals. Him. And they're over yeah. there. They're just, they're, they're keeping our, our houses, our spiritual homes in heaven cozy. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're just going to wait for you to come home. And we'll definitely see them again. I feel like we will. All the animals that you've ever had, all your Maine Coons, all your, all, they're all going to be there, Jen. Yeah. And when it's you walk through zoo. that door, she's, Sancho's going to be like, hey, it's time. It's time for dinner. It's time to feed me. <laughs> for sure. For you know? sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I hope that you're, you know, taking it easy. 
you know, accepting the fact that we're, we're mourning. And it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to move through that. So be easy on yourself. Yeah, you know? for sure. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, it's going One to be a process, a of, process of uh, learning. And uh, Sancho, if you're out there, thinking about you, buddy. Love you. And, uh, you know, at least for me, we'll continue working in his honor by just spreading as much love as we possibly can, Jen. Right? Yeah. Just loving all in the same way that Sancho loved. I may not be able to, you know, pick up on the ladies the way that Sancho was able to pick up on the ladies. But you know what? Try your best. There can only be one Sancho. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you guys for taking this journey with us. And it was a kind of a deep dish. Jen, you went deep dish instead of uh, thin crust today. Yeah, you I know. did. I didn't like of, it. A lot I of like <laughs> makes me uncomfortable. Oh, a lot of feelings going around. But thank you guys for joining us today and uh, sharing space with with all of us and all of us holding space for Jen while she kind of moves through these transitions in her life. And she definitely has a lot to. To, to learn from this experience and, you know, all, all for good things. Sancho taught us a lot of really amazing things, definitely you throughout your life. So we're going to dedicate this episode to him. Thank you guys for tuning in to Buy Nobody's Podcast. Uh, you can do all the things, of course, just like as usual, you can find us on all the audio platforms. You can leave us a review. Give us some stars there while you're at it. You can like and subscribe to us on YouTube. And you could also find us on uh, Instagram on Divine Nobody's Podcast. You can reach out to us at divine-nobodies.com if you guys have any questions. And uh, yeah, until, until next time, friends, namaste. Namaste.